You know, when I began this project with my son to do the original programming for all of our companies, little did we know that during the time that we were doing this, so much would change. Quite literally, when I began in the financial services industry, I already had 11 years experience in the world of computer programming. And that goes back to the days of IBM punch cards and things like Fortran and COBOL. When it comes to broadcasting, I actually did my first broadcast 52 years ago, which means I was 10. And what I did is I saved my money. Remember, if you know my background, I was that kid that always had a business mowing grass, shoveling snow, rotor tillering, bought my own equipment, hired the guys in the neighborhood. I had a real gig going. When they came out with those books called the Babysitter's Club, I think it was. Hell, I understood that because I organized that in my neighborhood and I was a dude. Don't worry, girls. I'm all guy, but uh, there's a lot of ways to make money. You just got to find your skill set. So the bottom line is I um, purchased a CB base station and my buddies had their walkie-talkies. And these were the days when you were playing Cowboys and Indians and G.I. Joe, you know, World War II, Korea. We didn't play Vietnam. We were World War II kids, right? Oh, hell, Vietnam was still in the midst of getting up and cranked up back in the day. And we weren't all quite under, we didn't really understand everything. So the year in which you had the Tet Offensive, we were still playing G.I. Joe World War II. And uh, the guys, we all had uh, walkie-talkies. We had a nice neighborhood. We ran around with our guns and shot everything up. And back then, if the cops came around, they just smiled and waved at us, knowing that we were playing today. Those days are long gone. But I went ahead and bought a uh, base station. And uh, we would all take turns on my base station as uh, headquarters. Well, the little base station had a pretty good throw. And one of the things my father taught me was how you could take and wire up the antenna and string out wire and make an extra long antenna. <laughs> Little did he know that he had created a monster when he told me how radio waves worked, and we learned all about that in the basement. My dad always had a very large workbench in the basement, and you know these are the days when you repaired things like clocks, televisions. When the tube or two would blow in a television, you just fixed your own thing. I remember when my mother got her first electric can opener, and she was real proud of that, and the damn thing broke. But of course, today people just throw things out or they go back and take it to the store. Instead, my dad took it downstairs and realized it was just a little wire that had come loose. And so he showed me how to solder. That was the first time I learned how to solder. And after that, it worked, and well, it was still laying around the house when I cleaned out the, uh, the home when my uh, dad passed away back in 2009. But I had my CB base station. So what did I do? Well, I learned how to splice tape. My dad had a reel-to-reel tape recorder. I'm not talking about cassette. I'm not talking about 8-track or VHS or whatever. I'm talking about the old-fashioned reel-to-reel. And I learned how to splice tape. And so what I would do is I would listen to the radio station and I would get songs and I would record it with a the best microphone we had at the time. And, and then the guys in the neighborhood and the gals would bring records by and, and we would hijack songs. And so I did my own radio station. It went along pretty good until one day a neighbor came over to the house and said, you know, I said to my dad, my dad's name is Henry, but he went by Grant. He said, you know, Grant, your son's a real good disc jockey, but he's playing while we're trying to watch the Ed Sullivan show and it's coming across on the CBS channel. Do you think he could change the channel? <laughs> 
Uh, that reminds me back in Dallas when I was a kid, my mother used to get in the car and take me after school and used to have a television show called As the World Turns. And if it was plain, remember back in the day, if you missed it, you missed it. There was no such thing as reruns. And she would tune in on the AM dial on the car. These are the days when FM stations were extremely rare. I don't even remember FM stations when I was a kid. I remember when UHF came out and we wondered, what is a UHF and what is this Channel 44 thing? But you had your ABC, NBC, CBS, and you had a couple of main channels. And this was in Dallas. My have times changed. And I tell you this because I want you to know that I will always keep current as to what's going on out there. Once in a while, I'll meet somebody I know that they'll look at me and say, ah, that old man, he doesn't know what's going on. I know that because I got gray hair now. I'm 62 and I feel like I'm still going on 22. I have the vim and vigor of a, well, hell, I, there's not, other than my son, I don't know of anybody I can't outwork and drive into the ground. And I say that not as a brag, but just a statement of fact. I enjoy what I do. I like it good at it, profitable, and I control it, so might as well just do it. But I've been broadcasting in one way, shape, form, or another for a long, long time. Developing at WKRP Cincinnati, here we are, ready to rock and roll with Dr. Truesdale and the Oneiders. If you saw the movie with Tom Hanks, that thing you do, you know what I'm talking about when, he, when the group got on the stage and <laughs> the guy said, the Oneiders. But the key thing is, one of the things you do in life is you, you hone your craft, no matter what it is. You work it, and you work it, and you work it. And one of the things I learned with Colleen when we were doing podcasts before there was an iPhone, before there was an iPod, when everybody had dial-up, and the compression was nowhere near what it is today. And so it was tough. It was really hard to do what it is that we do. But we were doing these types of things and broadcasting live. We had, gosh, how many years has it been now? 15 years ago, maybe? We had over 1,400 people in the Ocala metro area that listened every single time we broadcast. Well, one of the things that I learned in doing what we're doing is that there are some fundamental changes that have taken place. For example, most people don't have a desktop computer anymore. If they have a computer, they have a laptop. A lot of people don't have a laptop of their own. They have a laptop from their employer. Many people who have a tablet oftentimes have a tablet that is inconsistent with their phone. I've had people that I've begged, you've got to get consistency in whatever it is you do so that you have cross-platform harmony. So that your phone, your tablet, your, your uh, laptop, and if you have a desktop, they're all consistent. And so that goes back to what I started with in the very beginning here. So much has changed in the last five and 10 years that what we began programming originally is completely different. And as a result of our brokerage relationship with Folio and the relationship now with Goldman Sachs, security and technology is real critical. And what we are doing and what we have done is put together a system that doesn't look like it makes sense to most people. But if you think about it very methodically, it does. So we've programmed our own client relationship management uh, software. And it's designed not just to fit what we are doing with fixed cost financial or for the law firm or for LIDI or for any other firm. It's designed to be specific for each one, but it's also something that we are going to begin distributing. We learned, for example, that most of these CRM programs are oftentimes programmed by people that you wouldn't want to have around. OK, 
Okay. You wouldn't want to have them around. You could have no idea where these people are from. With us, you know exactly where it is. It's designed in the USA, made in the USA. We're not going to do an apple designed in California and manufactured in China. That ain't happening. Security is really important to us. So as a result, that is a program that if somebody does one project like that in their life, that's a big deal. But on top of that, then how do you communicate with people? Well, right now we're using a program called Transistor. But what we've done is we've looked at every single podcasting platform out there from iHeartRadio to Spotify to Transistor and all the others you can possibly think of. We've looked and analyzed at length what works, what doesn't work, and how can we leverage our relationship with Amazon to get the best bang for the dollar using Cloudflare and all these other big companies and contracts that we've signed. How do we do that? Well, we've in the process of doing that. In about the next couple of weeks, we'll begin rolling out Dispatch, and we will be able to offer at an insanely competitive price. The ability for you to do unbelievable things with a podcast that everyone else would just charge an arm and a leg for. Well, then we have Lidi, for example, which is our insurance agency. And we have historically only used that for some really wealthy clients. What I've wanted to do is expand that because I really do believe in the importance of basic, old-fashioned, fundamental term life insurance for people that need it. And I do believe in old-fashioned, fundamental disability insurance. And I actually was hoping to launch this in 2020 because I said to everybody, if you are working and this virus is really scaring you, you really ought to have your own disability insurance. And recently I met an individual that I have a tremendous amount of respect for who got COVID and got it bad. Now that that thing is indiscriminate, but it, you know, sometimes can just knock you down. In this case, this person was knocked down. And of course, if you don't have your own disability insurance policy, if you are self-employed, well, then you have to rely on your assets. And years and years of accumulating wealth can go out the door real fast. So that's something that I'm passionate about. But to do that efficiently and effectively, I can't drive to see somebody at their house. There's not enough time in the day to have people traipsing in and out of my office. And the pandemic is one of the greatest things for our business because in the past, I would say to people, well, let's do a video conference. And people would say, oh, no, I don't do that. What do you mean you don't do that? Oh, no, I don't do that. But Bob, you and I chatted by way of uh, FaceTime the other day. Well, yeah, that was just personal. That was just, I don't do that for business. And I, I found that even people that I was interviewing for jobs as programmers who worked in Silicon Valley were apprehensive about getting online and having video conferencing. The pandemic changed that. It accelerated what we're doing. And so what I'm telling you is this. Over the last six to seven years, we've seen a wholesale change from desktop to laptop, from laptop, not just a tablet, but the phone. The whole damn world's on their phone. By the way, the smaller the screen, the smaller the thinking. There's a lot of people out there who are trying to do their entire digital world on a phone. You are really limiting your ability to think. I believe that you have to have a lot of desk space. When I think, I get outside, I walk. I love going to Maui. I haven't been there in a long time. Probably won't be going back anytime soon. They've lost their minds with this COVID thing. But I do get up in the morning and I enjoy the sunrise. I enjoy looking at the stars. And I get some of the best creative thoughts when it's quiet with a cup of coffee. I can see the stars. I can see the sun rise because it opens up your mind. And when you have a computer, a little tiny screen, you're limiting your ability to think. I'm sure people will argue and say, oh, you know what you're talking about. Well, I do. But that's, you know, God bless you. On my desk, I have five computer screens. 
Sometimes I have extras. It can be as many as seven. But it's because I really work. I'll have all these things open and working and doing and creating. So what we've done is created and figured out what works. Long view forecasting is not cheap. As a standalone, the pricing on that is pretty damn substantial. But that's included with those individuals who have our one or partner account with fixed cost financial. All of our accounts, the starter, the pro, the one, and the partner account, all have access to Learning Hive. And in Learning Hive, what we've learned is that people like things super short and simple, and people like videos. We've created a style that I like, and basically it's my way of sharing information 30 seconds to five minutes at most in bite-sized bites, and you will have the opportunity to buy that service independently. But if you're a client of fixed cost financial, it's included. We're going to do the same thing, I believe, with Lidi. If you're a client of either one of those two firms, it's automatically included. We're also thinking about doing the same thing with the law firm. But because the law firm is owned by Kelleen, we're in, and it has to be a separate entity, we actually are talking and negotiating on that. We have to do it straight up. Now, Truesdale Consulting will continue to be primarily the business consulting, advisory, and private equity firm that we'll do all that with. And I've done that now for many, many years. Mongoose Interactive is a full-stack programming company. And of course, as I said, we have several other items here, including our real estate holdings. But what does the future bring? The future brings changes. The Truesdale companies are nothing more than a conglomerate of closely held service providers. And we designed now the software to work cross-platform. In addition, each of these software components is available for purchase. And as a result of all of this, we've created something else called Slug News. Now, Slug News is going to launch in a big way fairly soon. We're in the beta trials right now with a wonderful group of people in Pasco and Hernando counties. But we do have the wherewithal to take this nationally, and that will be a franchise that we're going to be looking at exploiting and developing and and curating in the next few months. So we have a lot going on. But if you think about it, it's easy for me to say this, but if you really think about it, all of these are integrated and make sense. One plays off the other. So the Paul Truesdell podcast will be nothing more than my son and I, myself primarily, just telling you a little bit what we're doing, how it works, but the good stuff, you got to be a client. And what Paul and I are going to be doing in long view is going through our forecasting. Now, when I say this, I say it with humility, but also with a matter of practicality. Not only am I wickedly good at forecasting, but the two of us are insanely good There are times when we have absolute disagreement on things. That's fine because we talk and we work until we find a common ground, not through capitulation, but through exploration. And we give a statistical number. I'll give you an example. I will tell you that we are forecasting there is a 70% chance that the United States will collapse in the next 30 years. It will balkanize. And we can see more than three to four different nations where states combine and it gets really ugly. We don't believe there'll be a war between states, but we do believe that there will be 
the collapse of the United States. Within 50 years, we're projecting anywhere from 82 to 87 percent. We're not firm on that. And frankly, within the next, oh, maybe 15 to 20 years, it's probably still around 37, 38 percent. Again, these numbers are fluid. But if you look at what's going on in all ways, shapes, or form, people are getting tired. Many people no longer have any identification with the United States of America. They identify with their community. They identify with a political party, their race, their national origin. It is falling apart. And good, solid, hardworking Americans are done. I hear it all the time. And I would never say anything that would ever identify what anybody else has to say, but it is rough. Now, when I say this, you have to understand, we always view things as, well, how are you going to make money on this? Yep, that's what we do. How do I make sure that my clients survive physically, emotionally, intellectually, and with relationships? But the most important thing is to always remember a good, solid mindset. And so part of that concept that I may have shared with many of you, 3M, minting millionaire mindsets has been retired because a million just doesn't have the same meaning that it had 20 and 30 years ago. Now it's minting money mindsets. We had to change the name because frankly, like I said, a million isn't what it used to be. Now, for those of you who have never accumulated really much in terms of wealth, I get that. You'd like to have a million dollars. I'd like to have another million, two, three, four. Love to have more. Bring them all down. But you have to realize the number of millionaires that are in the United States today, worldwide, and well, anywhere, is pretty substantial. And just because you haven't made it yet doesn't mean you won't. There's just some things that everybody has to do. Yes, some people, if it wasn't for bad luck, would have none whatsoever. But the reality in life, we're going to incorporate that 3M process into Learning Hive and into our private client podcast when we finally launch Fixed Cost Financial. So we get a lot going on. Quite literally, we're working a solid 18 hours a day. The only thing we do is just sleep. And uh, we get up and we work. Uh, I'll tell you right now that oftentimes if you uh, try to get a hold of me in the afternoon between 2 to 4, I'm taking a nap. Because when I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, I've already got uh, an awful lot of time in and I get tired. So I take a nap and then I get up and have a bite to eat and then I hit my next shift. But you know, the thing is, I love this. I absolutely love this. And I feel like that movie, The Burbs, where at the very end, the the guy, I can't remember his name right now, he goes, man, I just love this place. Well, I love what we do. And there's a great deal of satisfaction in what we're putting off, pulling together and, and pulling off. And so with that, stay tuned. We'll be giving you a lot of cool information, a lot of cool access. And again, just go to truesdell.net. That's truesdell.net, T-R-U-E-S-D-E-L-L.net. The family that came here in 1632 with the Winthrop fleet. And always remember, never forget, we can trace our family history back to the 900s. We invaded, we're Normans, by the way, which are in essence are Vikings. We invaded England with William the Conqueror back in 1066. And it was our family that went in and led the invaders in what is known as Lincolnshire and Boston. So we went north of London and did a pincer movement on those folks. And if you, for example, should go to Boston and if you go to Lincolnshire, the Boston Stump, which is the gigantic church, William I, a Truesdale, William I, uh, he was the one that actually uh, began the building of that thing. And then when everything started going to hell in a handbasket in England, when Oliver Cromwell executed Henry VIII, and my father's name is Henry, and he is 
a Truesdale, so he is Henry the Fourth. I happen to be Paul the First. My son is Paul the Second. We don't use Junior. There's a reason why. But that's when the family got the hell out of there because they lost their titles. And they said, you know what? We don't need this nonsense. So they came over in 1632. And of course, you still had England going nuts and destroying the clans up in Scotland. And it was just a uh, ugly time for English history. But I tell you this because a lot of people will say things like, oh, I'm fifth generation Floridian. Oh, I've been this. I've been. I get that. God bless you. God bless you. But when it comes to being an American, we've been here for 389 years. I have no idea how many generations that would be in for most people, but we tend to breed later in life. It's just a thing that we do. So that's what we got going on. I am what my grandfathers were. Uh, I believe in epigenetic memory where the genes of your forefathers and mothers are passed to you. There are things I find that I do that every day reminds me of my father, my mother, and they would say the same thing. Oh gosh, you know, grandpa used to do what you're doing and all these, it is what it is. So when people say, you know, uh, history repeats itself and doppelgangers and all that, that, that's a real thing. There are simply some of us that just keep on keeping on. With that, I've got a lot more work to do. That gives you a little bit of idea of what we're doing. I hope you uh, will stick with us because I'm having one hell of a good time.